That being said, we're going to read, Scripture comes from chapter 1 of John, uh, verses 19 to 34. Um, I'm not sure, I didn't bring the pew Bible, I'm not sure what page that is, but um, I think it's in the bulletin, though, which, say again. What page, Phil? Page 886, if you're looking for it. So as we do that, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come worship here. Um, Lord, I pray that as we uh, read your word and teach your word, that uh, you bless it, um, that, that we would all be blessed through it, that uh, you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to hear it and receive it. In your heavenly name we pray. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Word of God for the people of God. Greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I am honored and privileged to be with you all. My family is with us as well. Uh, since the last time we've been here, it has been quite some time. Uh, my son is now, my oldest son is now seven. Um, he is MJ, which is Michael Davis Jr. Uh, and then we've, uh, throughout the pandemic, been pretty busy. We've had two children within 18 months. So we had uh, Elijah, who is uh, 21 months, and then uh, we ha we now have a three-month-old who is Titus. And so uh, we are very we've been staying pretty busy uh, throughout this time. So pray the strength for, uh, for my wife's strength. Uh, I'd also like to add, um, throughout that time, I have, uh, I have been serving at Downtown Church and, and still uh, there, uh, but I also now work for our denomination. Uh, and so I just, just briefly, I want to say, in working for our denomination, uh, I have learned uh, that we uh, have an incredible resource uh, down in Orlando, and uh, it has been a privilege to do so. And so in doing that, uh, I just want to encourage many of you uh, to ask it whatever questions, uh, and we want to continue to serve all of our churches and all of our people to the best of our ability. Amen, somebody? Uh, as we have heard our word uh, read to us, I'd just like to uh, 
gather myself and my thoughts by going before the Lord because I know it is not Michael Davis speaking to you all, but I, I trust that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you now knowing that we have opened your word, read your word, and heard and responded to it to this, to this point. Uh, as I preach and unpack what you have to say to your people, I pray, God, that I hide beneath your cross. And, Lord, you empower me with your spirit to speak to them with the words that you have prepared. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together. As we look at our text in John, I believe it's particularly interesting because uh, John also writes, the apostle John writes uh, to those in his time who are struggling to believe. Uh, his intentions, and many of you, if you've heard the gospel of John preached before, you know the purpose is for the readers to walk away believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. If you, if you hear anything from the book of John, you've consistently have heard and read how he is reinforcing the life of Jesus. And through this prologue in chapter 1, you see that John the apostle is writing in terms in which he is trying to highlight the Christ as man and God, that Christ, he is man and God. And in doing so, what he does is he, he brings up the fact that Christ was born as the word from the beginning. And in coming into this world, he brought light into this world, but yet he was also rejected. Rejected not, not merely by people he did not know, but by people he did know. And if you continue to read through all 51 verses, you see that the narrative begins to unpack out of the prologue the life in which Jesus is to live. And there is somebody proclaiming, testifying. And we call that brother John the Baptist. John being the forerunner going before Jesus to tell about what is to come. And once again, you have to make the distinction. If sometimes you read John and you think John, the writer, is John the Baptist, you may get a little confused sometimes, and I can understand that. But these are two different people. John the Baptist is the one who was born from Elizabeth. And as he mentioned, that at birth there was some kinship between he and Jesus in the womb. And John the apostle as he's writing, he is trying to lift up this narrative so that we may read and understand that Jesus had come for a purpose. But as you read the narrative, there was a, a confusion. A confusion as to why is John here? Why is John the Baptist here? When John writes, John the Apostle, I like what he does. He testifies in his own writings, that God is God because of his works, because of his word, and also 
right here because of the testifier. John the evangelist, John the Baptist, John the witness, John the one who shares his testimony. Look at what he says right here in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. The reason we stop there because it directs our attention to understand that he, John, is sharing something that it's not in theory. It's not abstract. It's not philosophy. It's what he knows. It's his testimony. Anybody ever share their testimony? Sometimes, and, and, and I, I like to say it like a, a, a more seasoned woman who has said in my life, I, I can't, I won't share what you, with you what, what my opinion is. I'm going to show you, I'm going to share with you what I know, my testimony. And that's very important. Many of us have experienced and we live by the testimony of many who have already gone before us. Our city, our society, our structures, things that have happened, even when you think about church history, there are people who have gone before us in order to continue to pave the way that the kingdom of God will continue to advance and that the glory of God, many of us will be able to worship and continue to do that work in concert with everyone else who has gone before us and for the next generation who will continue to go by God's grace. And why is that important? Because sometimes we don't appreciate the sacrifice that has, had been made on our behalf. The sacrifice many of us parents who make for our children to live the lives that they need to live. The sacrifice for many of us who have benefited from the lives of our parents' parents and generations before, sometimes we don't necessarily always appreciate the testimony of the forerunners who have gone before us who've set the trajectory for the faith in our families, the trajectory as to how we ought to live our lives and where we are going, all of which are very important, which is why John's narrative is important. So his testimony shows and it's deliberate, is deliberate in the fact that sometimes many people who are ignorant as to what it means to pave the way ought not, do not know what it means to testify about something that they actually do know. I want you to understand, sometimes we don't even know what we are testifying about in its fullness. Many of you are looking at me like, how is that possible? Because we don't know Christ in his fullness until he comes and appears before us. That is what the Bible teaches us. That we, as we are being restored into the image of God, we, at his appearance, will then know him in his fullness. But as we continue to grow, we only grow in our testimony as we grow in what? Our ability to know God. Many of you who, are, who, who like to use certain words, you, you, you grow in your sanctification. As God is consistently redeeming you, we come more and more, become more and more aware of who he is and what he means to us. This is very important. And the reason this is important because if I want you to take anything, one point, one big idea, it is this, that God gives our lives meaning and purpose so that we will bear witness to him. 
in a very deliberate way. God gives our lives meaning and purpose. So why? Why? So that we will bear witness, that we will testify about him. Let me illustrate that just for a minute because sometimes I know we can listen to that and be like, well, meaning and purpose comes by my fulfillment as to when I wake up in the morning and I do my job or I look at my children or I or I see my f- financial gains, or I see my stability in life, or how things are going because I desire them to go a particular way. Monday morning is happening, and some of you are anxious. And your anxiety comes because you may not know what is going to happen tomorrow. You don't know how promised tomorrow may be. But is your meaning and purpose hinged upon when you wake up and you do what you desire? Is your meaning and purpose hinged upon when you wake up how you are affirmed in who you are and what you do? The question is, what then if you struggle with thinking about, well, my meaning and purpose doesn't necessarily derive from a testimony, then where does it derive from? What gives you mean? What gives you the the ability to want to wake up tomorrow? Let that sit in your mind as we go through our text this morning, because in unpacking what this means, I think we got to do three things. We have to confess, we have to accept, and we have to give credit to what credit is due. We have to confess what what we are not. We have to confess what we are not. This is what John does. He says, and, and this, in verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. I want you to look at it. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. What does your Bible say? I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. That is a huge statement. Why? Not merely because he is, he just doesn't know, he just knows the fact that who he is not. You've got to ask the question of why are they even asking who he is? Well, they're, they're asking who he is primarily because many have come and what they have done is become fake, pseudo messiahs. They have said that they are the ones that come. Everybody remember when, uh, what was it called? YK, Y2K, uh, there, was a, there, was going to, there was going to be something that happened and the world was going to end. Somebody proclaimed that. Remember somebody was going to proclaim that something else was going to happen 10 years after that. Somebody proclaimed that the p- pandemic had something to do with, with the world ending. Everybody is going to testify as to what is going to happen. But we know if we read our Bibles that there is only one that knows when the world will end. When the world will be restored, not when we escape this world, but when God restores all of society, all of his creation, including us in concert of the wisdom in which he desired for it to be in the garden. So John knows that he's not the Christ. He knows that he is not fully man and fully God. 
but there were so many different people who wanted to be. You see, remember in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, where there was, after he said, the, the prophet said that there was some, there will be someone that would come after me. Look at what, think about what he said, what, think about how long those 400 years of silence were as it pertains to not hearing from a prophet. How often the, the Israelite community was used to hearing from a representative from God to speak to them and lead them and guide them and instruct them. What if you would come to church and there was no preacher? There were no elders. No one here to testify. Some of you would say to yourselves, well, I'll testify myself. That's exactly what we ought to do. And so when the, king, when the, when the government sends the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem, they're sending them to inquire as to what is actually going on and how should they move forward. I remember in Hebrew class in seminary where Dr. J. Scalar, he had us all stand up and repeat this phrase, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. There were about 40 of us, and you continued to hear that echoed throughout every single voice in that room, and you were reminded right in that moment of who you were not. And I believe, beloved, if we were to ask ourselves, what does it mean to live a life where our accomplishments, our talents, and the things that we present in our resumes are the very things that says that we are somebody, that our identities are oftentimes trying to show how capable we are, do we oftentimes confess who we are not? That takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of vulnerability and transparency because sometimes we always want to have the answer. We always want to be the person to fix it. We desire to do it so much so. And in some sense, there are all good intentions, but sometimes they're not the best outcome. Some husbands know when we try to fix the microwave, when we try to fix the car, or however long it, we try to fix something. I got a microwave handle that needs to be fixed right now that hasn't been fixed in, in, in quite some time. But oftentimes it's because we delay. We're trying to figure out. YouTube University hasn't helped us. But sometimes those moments when our wives are trying to encourage us, just call brother or sister so-and-so to help. <laughs> it's just a sense of humility to say who we are not. The Bible tells us who we are in a positive sense, but the Bible also tells us who we are not in a negative sense. As we continue to look at the narrative, we see they asked and said, they were, they were saying, well, he's not the Christ. So they asked the question and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I I'm not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. Verse 22, they say, so, okay, you're none of these. 
They asked him, who are you? Why are they, why are they having to ask these investigative questions? Well, it's right here. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do we say about yourself? So they, they actually needed to go back and report as to who this man was and is. Think about it. He's the same John the Baptist that is known that dressed a little uniquely. He's the same John the Baptist that was eating locusts and other weird things that they would consider. It's this John the Baptist who's actually proclaiming that the Messiah has come. And then he's the John the Baptist that's baptizing with water. So they're saying to themselves, if you're none of these things, who are you? What do you say about who you are? And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight, this comes from the prophet Isaiah, the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24, and now they had been sent from the Pharisees, which what John the apostle is letting us know, and then they asked, so they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor prophet? John answered them, I, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he comes after me. The straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across Jordan where John was baptizing. The narrative helps us. It really helps us to unpack what, what, what is actually going on. Because what he says is, he says, I am the one that's proclaiming in the wilderness, out on the outskirts, telling you I'm not in a temple, I'm not in a synagogue, I'm not in a typical place that you would look for a prophet, I'm not in a place where you would look for a priest or a Levite. So these temple guards that are officials from Jerusalem are curious as to then, do you have any official capacity? But his vulnerability and transparency is very important to me because sometimes, you know, I've done this. We can make John the Baptist this hero, but not look at how humble he was. He says, I'm, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one that is to come, who stands amongst us. Why is that important? Well, typically, you know what a rabbi, he would have disciples. And his disciples, if you remember, when Jesus' disciples, what they would do, they would actually go before him and make sure that the accommodations were okay. They would scope out where, what things would look like and report back as to um, where, how he needs to maneuver or work around. But Jesus already knew. But at the same time, they were doing their job for their teacher. But every rabbi also had what was known as a bond servant. And the bond servant would be the one that would actually carry the sandals, untie the sandals of the rabbi and carry them. Disciples did not do that. The, the bond servant did that. So when he says, I'm not a disciple, I'm not even a bond servant, 
John the Baptist is saying, I'm not worthy of what would be considered the most least of Jesus, of this teacher, of the Messiah. And beloved, it's, it's, if we were to be honest, out of our confession time, we'd be honest, out of our own brokenness, sometimes we think we're worthy of something. We think we're entitled to things. I know I see it most evidently in my children. But I also know that what I see in them is also a thing that is working in me. But it's easy to illustrate with my kids. The level of entitlement oftentimes is, why do I have to do this? Why why are you telling me that I need to clean up? Why do I have to eat all of my food that you bought, paid for, and put on this table? Why do I have to go to school? All of the whys (laughs) indicating that there's this level of resistance. I know many of you have asked God, why do I have to go through this circumstance, this hardship? Why do I have to navigate this difficult relationship with someone else? Why do I have to be the one that that has to be humble? Why do I have to be the one that takes the brunt of everything? Why why does it have to be me, God? Why Why do we have to go through these things? God, why do I have to wait on getting married? God, why do I have to wait on this next phase? Why do we have to wait for the pandemic to be over? Why, 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 God? God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? Because it seems like, God, you don't know what you're doing at times. See, Some of us may feel uncomfortable with that at times, but our hearts are really saying that. If we were to look at Lamentations, if we were to look at how the Psalms interact with with God, if you were to look at Psalm 13, you would see the fact that the psalmist says, How long, O Lord? Many of us are in the same situations to where sometimes It is hard to not know who we are not and confess that. Sometimes instead of asking why or or what, in our lamentations, we should be saying, God, I am not you. You are God and God all by your Self. I'm not here to help you. I'm not here to consult with you. I'm not here to counsel you. I'm not here to instruct you. I'm not here to rebuke you. I'm not here to create and situate other things. Why? Because we know that was the problem in the garden. That was the problem in which we all have to suffer through sin. Which is why when the narrative continues on in verse 29, it says, and the next day. And you will see this in the next day, in the next day, in the next couple um, stanzas as if you use this time to read this prologue and this narrative in your own personal study. But 29 says, and the day they, he saw Jesus, 
coming towards him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Many of you should ask yourself the question, what does it actually mean to take the sins away of the world? And, and what is sin? Well, sin, uh, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is this. Sin is any way, uh, I mean, any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law, the law of God, given as rule to the reasonable preacher. Conformity to unto or transgression of anything that is outside of the law of God, outside of the word of God. Have you ever used the Westminster Shorter Catechism to actually give you a system of thought as to how you ought to read the Bible and understand God? It helps us because one of the things you can say, well, then who is God? What is God actually is spirit in and of himself, infinite in being glory, blessedness, perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, just, most merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness. Why is that important? It is important because as we navigate and understand our true identity, we have to understand what we and confess what we are not. We know that we are sinful people saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, if we understand the sins that we conform to each and every day, we can confess them more freely. We can actually understand that we are not the ones that are going to save ourselves, but it is the Lamb of God who has come to save us. But then... When you live through a pandemic, you understand that sin takes its own form. When you see sickness affecting your life, you understand that sin takes its own form. These emphatic ways that we ought to understand who we are are not just merely by confessing what we are not so that we can find some kind of purpose, but it actually identifies as to how we ought to live our lives as witnesses that are living out the fruits of the Spirit, as witnesses that are individuals that are oftentimes going through situations and we need kindness and gentleness to help us live these things out in the workplace. In order to be children of God, we ought to bless other people and love on other people in ways that will show the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. See, a couple weeks ago, many of you all have experienced all of the power outages maybe that we experienced in Memphis and 130,000 people out of power. And we had, me and my family were out of power for two days and we got a ton of breast milk sitting there that we were praying to the Lord Jesus that we wouldn't lose any of our milk storage. And, you know, we, we, those are some of the things. You say, I know I'm not Jesus because we need this milk. Help us, Lord, help us. But, but in, in the same sense, when we are going through, I remember when my power was turned back on, but my, my, uh, one of our pastors said, could you drive past our house to see if our power is on? I drive down the street, and can I tell you that the power of darkness is something else because there was not a light on in sight. Nobody had a generator on. And as you drive down the street, I felt like I was on I Am Legend. Have you ever seen that movie? And I turned around. I didn't even need to go all the way down the street. But I say that to say that when you understand and encounter Jesus, you don't need to walk all the way into sin. When you see darkness, you can turn around immediately and walk towards the light. 
Why am I coming to this? Because when we confess who we are not, we accept who we ought to accept. And that is Jesus. And therefore, we also ought to give him credit for who he is. And this is what John the Baptist does. And I think he does it emphatically, primarily from the standpoint that we ought to know our own weaknesses. We ought to know what we're not capable of. And can I tell you? That we experience that. This is not something that I'm just trying to share with you. My testimony, our testimony for our youngest son, we get a call in December. Cystic fibrosis is what he has a gene mutation of. And when we get that call, you know what happens? We fall to our knees because I, I, both of us have lost parents. At 25 years old, my mother passes away as soon as I enga- get engaged to my wife. We get engaged May of 20, 2009. She passes away October 2009. We just moved back to the city to be with her. We lose somebody. So I've lost other close loved ones. And so grief is oftentimes hard. Hearing things and losing things and knowing that your child who, who, who has who's just come out of the womb is going to be dealing with something all of his life and have to change the way that he lives in the middle of a pandemic that affects your respiratory system. Can I tell you something? It makes you recognize how real sin is. You don't look at sin in just in terms of your personal sin anymore. You look at how it plagues every aspect of life. You look at the way that sin plagues your work, your workspace. You look at play, how sin plays, all, plagues all of our government systems. You look at how sin actually plagues all of our uh, all of our structures in our educational system. You look at how sin actually plagues the violence that we have in our communities. You see how sin actually plagues us in a global way. Because if we were to ask ourselves, well, how does the how does the world view sin? How does the world view God? It's interesting because somebody in a third world country will. View God and view sin very differently, how we would view some things. But at the fundamental aspect, we all have to confess that we're not Jesus and accept that he is God. And then we have to do something else. We have to give him credit for what the credit he is due. See, John bore witness. And he said in verse 33, I myself did not know him. And beloved, I can't tell you how many pastors I've encountered who've actually said, I've been preaching the gospel all of my life, but I didn't know Jesus until this moment. Many of us have experienced the sacrament of baptizing our children as infants, and then we look up and we say to ourselves when they are 25 that they have deconstructed their faith in some kind of way because that's what we live in, and that it's, it's not the enlightenment aspect of things as to how we are structuring our thoughts, but it's the deconstructing of one's faith. It's not something absolutely new, but it's deconstructing one's faith because they feel like they've never been able to think and process of their own. Many of us have experienced that in society. Why is that important? It's important because what sin does, it deceives us. And when John says, I I bore witness to somebody that that I really didn't know, we have to ask ourselves the question, just like John. Do we know him when we come into encounter with him? Do we really believe in him, that he gives our lives meaning and purpose? Because as the uh, apostle is writing this, I can't help but understand that when he writes in verse 34, and I have seen and I have bore witness that this is the Son of God. It's somewhat of the same language in 1 John when John the apostle experienced seeing God 
that he said that he knew him because of his nail-pierced hands. He knew him. He was able to touch him. He was able to see him. He was able to hear him. And when we come to this communion table this morning, I want you to understand that this is somebody, not just anybody, that loves you. And he had come to die for you. Not just to save you for your own sake. God doesn't come to save us from this world. It just says he's come to take the sins away from this world. Why is that important? Because now as children of the living God, we come to the table knowing that this gives us meaning, purpose, to live as redemptive change agents on Monday morning and the rest of the week. And we affirm our faith by standing and looking at our bulletins. And I love this affirmation of our faith. When we respond to the proclamation of God's word by professing the faith, we share with those who are baptized into the universal or Catholic church.